Hello, everyone. Welcome to Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. So, reciprocity <laughs> makes the world go round. Uh, do something for me, I'll do something for you. It is transactional, as so much, if not the entirety of relationships. In more material sort of definition, natural definition, is... Uh, Contingent upon, built upon, some transactional sort of notion. You do this and I'll do that. And it's better than stealing it. It's better than uh, coercion, threatening, uh, physical violence, uh, emotional manipulations, uh, control dominance, uh, just a lot of bad things when it comes to anything but fair and equal treatment. I think that's why we like the notion of fair and equal and why then transactions, if they're going to be anything, can't become so one-sided or should they, then we seem to really end up being greatly or grossly offended, feeling exploited, taken advantage of, victimized, manipulated. But most of us don't think about doing good (laughs) for someone you love as engendering any sense of guilt or uh, anxiety or any sort of drop in mood. Most of us would say, yes, I just wish my significant other, husband, wife, kids even, neighbors, relatives, I would just want, if you're telling me that yours did that for you, that I just wish mine would care enough about me to do those kind of things for me. And I do believe that there's always much to be said for kindness and being proactive and notice and attention given to the fact that our most important persons are needing some help and we're there to help them. And if you want to look at reciprocity as having to start with somebody, (laughs) maybe it is always better if you be the giver than the taker on the front end of it. However... I'm going to stop there just for a minute and add this. To be the taker oftentimes means that you're needier. Uh, But if you just do that and then there's no reciprocity, if you do that unconditionally and there's no return on that, you start to feel a little bit embittered by that. I'm not saying unconditional love is bad and I'm not saying that we shouldn't lead with that. Actually, I would probably be a very strong advocate that that is really the only way to determine whether or not there might be some element of fairness and equality and balance in terms of reciprocity, transactional sort of nature or in that transactional sort of nature dimension to relationships is to go ahead and give and see what you get. (laughs) and uh, buyer beware. Be careful. If it looks too good to be true, then of course don't do it. And if you are already, because somebody has posted it somewhere uh, about watch out, beware of this person, it's all a scam, then certainly don't go there unless you have plenty of resource. And maybe it's instrumental. Maybe you're one of those individuals that believe, well, you just keep giving and eventually they'll come around. I uh, Maybe, I don't know. I'm probably not inclined to think it's that simple. Psychology Today. And I should say this. 
I've been speaking of very general as well as specifically those significant other relationships. This article in Psychology Today I'm going to read, I think takes on much more personal significant other sort of context. Psychology Today, November, December 2023, the allure and challenge of invisible loyalty. Sometimes support is most beneficial when a partner is unaware it's been given by Gary Lewandowski, Jr., Ph.D. Gary W. Lewandowski, Jr., Ph.D. Imagine you have a particularly stressful week at work with a lot of demands, emails, and meetings. You feel as if you have, as if you're drowning. Your partner notices and says, I know you're having a really hard time. Let me help you. I'll handle dinners, dinners this week and take care of getting the taxes done for you. Super helpful, right? Sort of. Receiving this type of conspicuous support is a double-edged sword. On the plus side, we clearly see that our partner cares about us and wants to help. Not surprisingly, research shows that when partners receive visible support like this, they are more satisfied in the relationship. The same research shows, however, that such acts can have unintended effects. Knowing our partner is helping us can also lower our mood and make us feel anxious. Your partner also helps in helps you in ways you don't realize. Invisible support occurs when your partner does things for your benefit, often indirectly, but you don't realize it. There are plenty of things your partner does behind the scenes to help you and the relationship, things that you never see. For example, when talking with your mother, your partner might provide support by taking your side when there is a difference of opinion or by overseeing or by caring for you. She hasn't been able to visit because she is hopelessly overcommitted at work. In such cases, your partner silently and loyally works in the background, trying to make your life easier. They don't mention it and never ask for recognition or benefits in return. They simply do it because it helps you. Research shows that partners miss half of the sacrifices their partner makes for them. When researchers tracked law students taking the bar exam, they found that despite students having no idea what their partners were doing to help them, test takers had less depression and anxiety when they received invisible support. Similarly, when romantic partners receive invisible support, they report higher relationship satisfaction the following day and no decrease in mood. They are also happier with such interactions as the amount of time they spend together, affection toward each other, conversations, and sex life. What we may not notice one day can still benefit us the next. Though a partner may not see their partner's loyalty, they certainly feel the byproducts and believe that their partner is looking after them. As with love, trust, and respect... Partners need not witness tangible proof to have the feelings benefit their relationship. Why is invisible support so powerful? 
It preserves people's sense of self-efficacy. Acknowledging the need for assistance can make us feel inadequate. We may think that if we were a more capable person, we could deal with a stressful week and things around the house without needing anyone to step in and save the day. Such concerns may especially trouble those who need to project unwavering capability. I don't need any help. Feel in control and avoid any sense of perceived weakness. Also, a partner's help can make us feel guilty or indebted because they've done so much. We now owe them and need to reciprocate. Visible support can come with unintended extra baggage. On the other hand, invisible support is authentic and generous. The supporter does it purely for their partner's benefit and does not need acknowledgement or recognition. Invisible support is like an anonymous donation to the relationship partner. They benefit because it makes their life easier. The supporter benefits because they get to identify as someone who is kind, giving, and unselfish. They also get to bask in their partner's positive reactions. Doing good feels good. Finally, being able to effectively provide invisible support requires a skilled partner. To do it well, a person needs to do several things behind the scenes to make it work. Notice the partner has a need, know how to appropriately address the need, and provide support in a subtle or non-obvious way. Of course, they have to be secure enough in themselves to not require acknowledgement or credit. Not every partner will be up to the task, but those who are will experience better relationships. Five types of invisible support. Because invisible support is hard to see, examples are in short supply. Nevertheless, new research identifies five main types of invisible support for relationships. Anonymous donor giving concrete, tangible help without any recognition, doing household chores that aren't normally your responsibility, making your partner's favorite meal, or allowing them or letting them pick the restaurant, filling your partner's gas tank, checking their tire pressure, or getting their car washed. Rallying the troops. Reaching out to your partner's friends and others to encourage them to provide help and support. Texting your partner's friends and suggesting that your partner could use a night out. Encouraging the kids to give your partner thoughtful cards and gifts. Number three, maintaining the status quo. When life is stressful or hectic, making efforts to create a sense of normalcy by sticking to your typical activities, not adding additional stress, or taking the other person's lead on whether they want to address or discuss any issues. Carrying on with routine activities like hanging out, going out to eat, or grabbing drinks. Not piling on extra problems when your partner had a stressful day. Avoiding overscheduling extra activities during your partner's busy weeks. 
in this together. Aligning your interests with your partners by suggesting solutions that would help you and in turn them, them suggesting that you need to sleep more, eat better, take up meditation, or exercise more regularly, and that it would be great to work on it together, saying that you really need a dinner out or a weekend away to decompress when it's really for your partner's benefit. Finding an excuse to take the kids out by yourself to give your partner time to relax or get work done. And lastly, being there. Simply showing up for your partner and listening without offering advice or overtly helping. Giving your partner a hug and saying, I love you, seemingly for no reason at all. Resisting the temptation to offer unsolicited advice or solutions to your partner's problems. Stifling the urge to correct your partner about something they did wrong. Sometimes invisible support is about silly, mundane things like not eating the last piece of cheesecake, even though you really want it, or watching a show that you don't particularly care to see, just because your partner likes it. When looking for ways to provide invisible support, it's as simple as finding ways to lighten your partner's load, decrease their stress and obligations, or increase their enjoyment, all without their knowing you played a role. One important corollary, both partners need to participate. If only one partner provides invisible support or the other constantly takes advantage, that's going to undermine relationship quality. And providing invisible support does mean, doesn't mean you should be a doormat or a martyr. It just means you're looking out for each other. Everyone deserves a great relationship. The best relationships make our life better and the best partners help make that happen in ways we never see. And again, this would be Psychology Today, November, December 2023, the allure and challenge of invisible loyalty. Sometimes support is most beneficial when a partner is unaware. It's been given by Gary W. Lewandowski, Jr. Ph.D. So, it could be in these reciprocal sort of dimensions that I mentioned before I read the article to you, that there's a bit of guilt. You just do something very nice and the other person feels like they've got to do something nice in return. The article also points out that it could have something to do with self-esteem, I believe the word that the author chose to use was efficacy, and if not, then it's still a good word. If they feel like that somehow they, by soliciting or receiving, even if they didn't ask for it, your assistance, that somehow they're a lesser person, or they feel like that, in their mind, indicates that they're a lesser And even if you're quite benevolent, loving, considerate, kind, generous... Do it for all the right reasons. Say it in all the right ways. They still may perceive that somehow they, as they self-perception, 
they look at themselves, self-esteem, sense of efficacy or lack thereof, that they're not contributing, that somehow they're not equal. And again, in transactional reciprocal or reciprocity terms, the best relationship is a balanced one. And I would probably believe that most people will be in more mature status, in a much more mature status in their relationship with significant others, simply because by the time that you get to a point where it's lasted long enough to be called mature, or even so as the relationship uh, improves with age, where you become much more familiar with the nature of the reciprocity and how it all works out and the nuances of what really the exchange rate is and how that's determined or calculated. And every situation is a little different. Every context, or as with context, every uh, circumstance situation within which something of a need should arise is going to have other likewise uh, circumstance uh, attached where there may be other things that you've done for your partner, they've done for you, other demands uh, shared mutually or individually that can require a bit of work to calibrate not only exchange rate but to in that sort of way of reciprocity, not breach or break the core premise of equality. Uh, They do something for you, you do something for them. But I do think it's interesting because really what that means is if you do this in the manner that the article speaks of it, in terms of invisible loyalty or in terms of some form of invisible giving, then what you've done is support, what you've done is you've kind of removed all of that conscious stuff and really then it would have to be considered reciprocal if it's going to work that way well and again if it's mature and what would then be the result of not making it to maturity, not making it to maturity. Uh, The result being it would break. You would probably not have intimacies in whatever way you measure intimacies. Uh, And then whether they're your person or maybe more intimately so or, or maybe in a much more extended or general sort of way. All of that plays into though it is not going to mature if... It doesn't work. (laughs) And these things just have to kind of get negotiated or worked out along the way. That's why I think younger individuals, because their relationships may not be as mature, and if that should sound wrong because there's some ageism attached to it or prejudice, then if you're older and the relationship is new, then you've got... some time that you have to log in to become familiar with the other person and to either work out all the the, uh, contingencies. And if you can't work out the contingencies, then, you know, through natural (laughs) 
bit of a process of natural selection, it will not work and they'll be relegated to wherever the relationship, the other person, will be relegated to whatever position they might assume, some greater, some lesser than Others that have relationship with you, or if there is a hierarchy to your relationships with others, are probably not going to be the most intimate, not going to be your best person, not maybe going to be the individual that you date most often, more so even would eventually choose to make it permanent and eliminate even the thoughts of it being more casual or as dating might seem to capture it, being less committed, a committed relationship, then the natural selection or that aspect of, well, if it doesn't really work, it's never going to get there. It may seem a bit um, moot to say it that way, Uh, kind of circular thinking to say it that way, but it does capture it well. It either works or it doesn't. If it works and it works well, and though you may at times have to add a bit of commitment to it, then it's going to be enduring and you should get better at it. If it doesn't, then that's not bad. It just lets you know this is not the, the person that you're going to put in that either highest of orders or places in order, the hierarchy of it. Or maybe they might be, if it's, again, pertaining to a specific need or request. But generally speaking, that idea of significant other as with partner status, that's not going to likely happen. And that's good because you can go find somebody. And if time is essential, there is an element of time that has to sort of be logged to get to that place of reciprocity working through the what can you do for me to let's do it for each other to kind of implied I don't have to worry about it I don't even have to call your attention to it there's no ego or there's less ego in it because it's done invisibly is just generally an attitude of what I would want to call love then it's going to take some time to get there and to prove itself to the relationship to prove itself worthy of uh, that moniker. But understanding that if it is there, <laughs> then all this reciprocity stuff won't be as important. It still may be, but it won't be as important. And it will not be as transactional. And should there be then unconditional love? I mentioned that before. I believe it was before I read the article on the podcast today. If it is unconditional, if you can find a relationship or partner who's capable of unconditional love and then the relationship with time mature to that place where you can take the transactional aspects off of it, you can take the measuring out of equality, the reciprocity dimensions off of it. You can take out the self-esteem, the feelings of inadequacy. You can take the individual sort of aspects off of it or, or remove them from it and really operate unconditionally. It does not matter what you do or don't do. I am going to continue to do what I see, what we've determined to be that highest presentation of love, unconditional love, they do the same thing. That seems to me to be the ideal. 
And as much my job in psychological counseling is to facilitate that, you have to understand that and what you're working toward. And then even so, and nothing new, we've discussed this previously on prior podcasts, that's really what I'm showing you is unconditional love. We like to call it positive regard because love sounds a little bit, I don't know, uh, creepy. <laughs> if you go around telling them, I love you. I have unconditional positive regard, affirmation. <laughs> I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to be there to help and support you. But with that, I'm going to edify, point out where you're successful and encourage you with everything I got. It's easier for me because I don't have any real stake in it in the sense of um, personal, shouldn't have. <laughs> Too much in it as far as personal gain is concerned. It is professional, so it's for some degree of benefit to as far as commerce goes, reciprocity. But hopefully that would not be necessarily something you would hold against either psychological counseling or the person that conducts that. And it may be worth it because that may be the best that you're going to get in short order when you need it right now without having to take a lot of time. And with that, then no risk of harm to you or at least minimizing as best possible any sort of dimension of personal exploitation or risk from the standpoint of the psychological counselor. That's unethical, and we don't do that. But it's amazing what happens when you're subject to or exposed to unconditional love, and, and you're freed then to just be yourself, and how much you can then, with insight, uh, open, be opened up to seeing yourself differently, and then with feedback from others, not only self, but others, a guide, a psychological counselor, a psychotherapist, that could be so helpful. Being objective, again, not for any personal gain on the part of the therapist. It just is a, a really unique and rare situation that really almost ha is invaluable, has no real value you can attach to it because it's just so rare. But should that be something that you think could be beneficial, and I think it would help, Greatly, especially if you're having some struggles with this idea of reciprocity or finding that person or even loving yourself in the right sort of way, you can reach out to us at 304-523-WORD, 9673-WORD. You can find us at thewordhouse.com. You can also find us at Facebook, the Wordhouse or at Wordhouse on Facebook and YouTube, and you can email me at drmdclay at thewordhouse.com. But you can also come back and join us as we drop the podcasts weekly for our next edition of Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. I do want to remind you that Psychology Today provides a very good directory of vetted providers, supplies, a directory of vetted providers, and uh, would want to encourage you to look there and uh, determine whether or not there might be someone that is, is even a better fit for you than I would be. But either way, either way, any way that you might go about that, don't delay. <laughs> Get the help you need. Also, again, 
Appreciate your listening to the podcast and would very much enjoy a chance to meet with you again. But until we get that chance, I want to wish you not only good health, but good mental health, good mind health. Thanks.